about to do more right now. We have the privilege of having Ruth Karabe with us today. Um, great first meeting. I can't wait to hear it again. It's just such a powerful, powerful message. But rather than me introducing Ruth, we're going to have a short video which will introduce who she is, what she does. So enjoy this. Our vision is to impact lives, one child, one village, one generation at a time. Our mission is to eliminate poverty through education. Education, both formal and informal, is therefore the visible thread throughout all of our projects. We have set up a community library in Wakiso with over 3,000 books. The aim of the library is to become the hub of education for the whole community, both children and adults. We teach adult literacy classes as 70% of the community we are in are not literate. We offer reading clubs in primary schools called Read to Lead. The purpose of the clubs is to create a reading culture in children and raise a generation that loves to read. The elderly and the disabled are the most neglected group in Uganda. Most of the elderly are too old to work and their children have died from HIV. Therefore, we make sure that they are provided with two meals per day. We do this through a community charity shop that has clothes shipped from UK. When they arrive in the shop, the community buys the items using dry food like beans, flour, soap as currency. The food we collect is then distributed to the elderly. My Child Uganda currently sponsors 43 children we pay for their school fees and other requirements, therefore giving them the opportunity to go to school. Many of these children are either orphans, HIV positive, or are raised by grandparents. As part of this program, we also offer family counseling in order to help parents or guardians in guiding the children's education. We hope to build our own school and be able to provide quality education for the poor. We conduct empowerment conferences for women and we work with single parents by helping them to start businesses so as to support their children. We also provide leadership skills with one-to-one -one mentoring programs for women. Let's give Ruth a warm welcome. Amazing, amazing. Thank you very much, church. It's wonderful to be here. Can I just say, I'm not used to the way you people worship. Because, like, you don't move. What's with that? Because I know some of you came from the club. Before you got saved, you could dance. Right? And some of you I know go to different concerts. 
So when you get out there, you're all shimmy, shimmy, shimmy when you go to church. I don't get it. I'm standing there with my African way. I'm like, yeah, come on, God. And I'm like, okay, okay, no. Maybe not here. I'll wait until I get back to Africa. Come on. Where is it? But I think it was David says that I couldn't wait until to do what? To go in the house of the Lord. Because the house of the Lord was supposed to be Father. Stand up, everybody. Stand up, stand up. I'm going to disorganize church. Because after this, I'm getting back on a plane. Where's the worship leaders? Have they left us? They're here. Where are they? Come and get your guitars. Freestyle. Come on, come on. Where is the other? Has he left? It's just you. Never mind you. Just, just grab it. Just quick, quick. Just grab it. Hey, he's on the drums. Amazing. Oh, what's, are those the sticks down there? Okay. You're going to jump. Oh, come on, church. I am so in love with Jesus. Jesus is not boring. Isn't it? Jesus is not boring. You know, we want people to look at church and think, yeah, I want to be part of that. Isn't it? We make them feel like, all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, come on. Yeah? Come on. Uh, what's that song I was thinking of? What's that? Uh, 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 it's gone out my head now. Things already better. Things already better. For the Lord is on my side. Things already better. Things already better. I can't sing, but hey. Things already better. Come, 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 come quickly. Okay, listen, listen, listen. Shh, quick. This is my, wait, 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 wait. This is my time now. Don't joke with my time. Listen, I know you guys like this, but with these songs, we don't clap like this. With this song, it's... Things already better. Things already better. Things. Things already better. Things already better. Things already better. Heaven, Lord is on my side. Things already better. Things already better. Church is already better. Church already better. Church already better. For the Lord is on our side. Church already better. Church already better. Now tell your neighbor, you're already better. You're already better. You're already for the Lord is on your side. For the Lord is on your side. You're already better. 
You're already better. You're already better. Woo! God bless you. Somebody just said, that's all the exercise I need this week. (laughs) Well, bless you. God bless you. It is wonderful to be with you again in this wonderful second service. Second service, you've got it hard. Because there's no time you finish until I actually finish. First service, I have to finish so that others can come in. The second service, you're in trouble. I've got you until I feel like the sermon is done. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. Right, we just saw a video about my child, Uganda. And I want you to keep in mind of that video as being the end. Now I'm going to take you right back to the beginning, if that's okay. Is that all right? Yeah. I'm going to tell you a quick story. And this story took place in Africa. A small village in Africa. And this story involves a a lady, her name was Betty. Betty had seven children, four boys, three girls. Uh, Betty's husband died, and therefore one of her boys became the heir. And in African tradition, he was like the um, head of the house. And he he would be acting like her husband more than, more like, more than her son, really. Betty's three children, the youngest child, had a problem. She had a, she had a mental issue whereby her body grew physically, but her mind would not grow. She was stuck at around age five or so. So you couldn't really communicate from her. If you saw her from her, from far, she was a beautiful young lady. But when you got near to get in a conversation, she'd be like, uh, uh. In Africa, every morning, the women have to go out and till the land. So Betty, every morning, she'll wake up and go with the other women and her three daughters. But unfortunately, her last born, because of the mental capacity, when they were trying to dig things, she was using the tools and she was cutting herself. When she was looking at the grass, she was more eating it rather than trying to pull it out. In the end, the women was like, this is too much. Can you please do something? We can't cope with your daughter. So Betty found no solution but to leave the child at home. So she left her and she would leave food on the veranda for her and drink. And the neighbors promised, don't worry, we'll keep an eye on her. Often, very often she will eat with the neighbors, but every now and again she'll have to eat by herself. But where she ate her food and drank her juice, is where she done her number one and number two. So every time her mom will come back from the field, will find her really messy, smelling. And her first thing that she did, she would take her daughter aside and clean her. She didn't trust anybody else to do it with dignity. So she did it herself. One day she's cleaning her. Then she realized there was a difference in the size of her daughter's stomach. It was a bit firm. So she told everybody else in there, her, her son said, oh, just get some medication or whatever. And they went to the field and they bought some leaves and some she drank and others she bathed. And they waited for the situation to change, but it wasn't changing. It was getting bigger. Her son tell, gave her money to take her to, take her to the clinic. And they went to a nearby clinic. Her daughter thought it was a day out with mom. 
but really she was going to the hospital. Took her to the hospital, and after the doctor had checked her, they let her go outside, and the Betty and the doctor are talking. Betty hoped for the best, but she knew it could be the worst. The doctor looked at Betty and said, your daughter's pregnant. Betty was confused. How could this happen? Pulled the daughter back and said, how can this happen? And the daughter's like, uh, uh. she couldn't speak. And the doctor said that worse than that, she won't be able to give birth. And said, what? And she said, because her brain will not be able to tell her womb to open. So what's going to happen is when it comes to giving birth, she would die in the pain and the baby would die inside her. Betty was devastated. She wasn't a Christian and in, in, in that culture, if you doctors couldn't help and nobody could help, you ran to the witch doctor. Which doctor would tell you, give us a chicken, give us a goat, give us money, give us this. But this time when they went to the witch doctor and she explained, the witch doctor looked at, the, at Betty's daughter and said, no, take that thing away from me. That's a curse. So she was now not a child, but a curse. And said, even that thing that's inside her is going to die. Betty walked home distraught. And confused, and she sat her son down, and she explained everything to her son. Her son said, I can't make a decision by myself. I'm going to have to bring the clan, the men, together. So the men huggled together in the house while the women was outside waiting to see what are the men going to say. What's the conclusion? In, in the end, Betty's called in the house, and they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build a hut 200 yards into the garden. And when it's time for her to give birth, we're going to put her in there. So she can die in there. Betty was heartbroken. So when it was time, one morning she woke up. The child is crying from early morning. She thought, this is it. She cried and cried for two hours. And Betty took her and checked her to see if there was any chance that she had dilated. But she hadn't. But she was in excruciating pain. So her son heard the screams and he ordered, take her to the hat. And as they lifted her, they couldn't lift her, lifted her on the mat that she was sitting on. As they were taking her, Betty said, stop. I want to give the baby a name. Her son goes, what's the point? The baby's going to die. Betty said, that child has come from a God somewhere. And they're going, that child is going back to that God. So Betty put, placed her hand on her daughter's stomach and gave the baby a name. And as soon as she had done it, they rushed her off and took her to the hut. They placed her in the hut. And, and beyond, unknown to Betty, they put a lock on the door. In tears, she said to the women, if my daughter's going to die, she's going to have to die in my arms. So she told to the women, go to your houses, get, make your um, families busy. I'm going to sneak to the hut, even though I've been told severely not to. She ran to the hut. She could hear her daughter scream. And she, could, she, she with in anxiety, she kicked the door open, pushed the door open. And she could hear the scream. And as the door starts swinging, the, sw the, swing, the scream stopped. And she thought, it's too late. She's dead. But as she stopped the door from swinging, she looked on the floor. And her daughter had given birth. 
Except this time, she didn't have no idea that she had given birth. She's kicking the baby and slapping the baby. So uh, Betty made a noise and all the women kept rushing in and they cut the umbilical cord. She put the baby in her clothes and the women cleaned up her daughter. Let me just read a quick scripture. Let's go to Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Are we there? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. It reads, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified, sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Has anybody got a different version? Anybody with Amplified? Yes, sir. Please read. Yep. Amen. I like that. It says, before you, came, before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. So daughter Betty's looking at her baby, her, her granddaughter. And by the miracle of God, the baby doesn't die and her daughter doesn't die. But the village won't forget what's happened. And the village people keep reminding the, the baby, they look at the baby, what's going to happen to the baby? Is she going to be like her mom? Is she going to develop properly? So in the end, Betty decided for that baby to have a future, they're going to have to, somebody has to adopt her. So they looked for a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of the family. She only had one child. So she said, yeah, I'll take her in. Amen. The baby's name was Tebitendwa Chiravo, and it means unbelievable gift. And my name is Ruth Tebitendwa Chiravo. I'm that baby. Amen? Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Because he said, before I formed you in the womb. So it's irrelevant. Irrelevant. I was going to speak Luganda then. Then you would have been in trouble. It's irrelevant to God how you came in the world. All he knows is he's bringing you in the world with an assignment. Isn't it? And sometimes the enemy wants us to hold on to, oh, this is how I came and my mother was this and my father was this and I was adopted and I was this. And he wants to, you to hold on to that. But the issue with God is not how. That's why Jesus was born where? In a hospital? In a king's palace? In a stable. Because it was irrelevant how he came. It was more relevant on what he was going to do. Amen? If I was in Uganda, I would have got a clap by then. <laughs> but it's all right. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. You're British. It's all right. <laughs> so my mom, my adopted mom took me in, bless her. But that was during the time of war in the 80s. 
when Amini was ram running rampage in Uganda. So she left Uganda to come to UK as an asylum, and she left me there. And she left me in good hands, because she left me with my uncle, who is my birth mother's brother. And she said, stay with him, and I'll send for you once I'm settled. After a while, all that got forgotten. My uncle's wife left him, and without her, I became the maid. At the age of eight, he took me out of school, and I began to look after his children. He had four children, three girls, and one boy. A boy that was older than me, a girl that was the same age as me, and two girls younger than me. So I began to clean and cook and do everything for him. But he had one problem. His major problem, he drank a lot. And when he was drunk, there was nothing to stop him from hitting anybody. With his wife gone, because he used to hit her, I became the one that he could hit. One day he came and he, 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 he declared in the evening he was drunk that he had lost some money. And he looked at me and he said, Ruth, you've taken the money. So he told all of us to line up with his children and all the children defended themselves. They all left and I was left there. And he said, I know it's you. You've taken the money. Knowing what was going to happen, I was going to get the beating of my life. I wasn't aware of what was really going to happen. Right there and then in the sitting room, he says to me, strip naked. So I did, took all my clothes off. And he went out and he, got the, he said to me, go and get a stick. Now, when you go to get a stick, you can't get a weak one because it'll break and you'll get a stronger one. You can't get a strong one because then that will kill you. So I thought, let me get a semi one. So hopefully by the time he finishes beating me, he'll be finished. He will stop. And he came and he beat me and beat me so much so that I ran out into the courtyard thinking my neighbors will help. And they watched him. Everybody knew that when he was like that, don't get in the way because you would be next. So he hit me and hit me and hit me until he passed out. Standing there scared. After hitting me, he said to me, I know you've taken my money. And he went in the field and he got some, um, it looked like herbs, but actually it was poison. And he got a little bowl and he said, you see this? This is poison. And he put it in a little bowl, he got water, mixed it in front of me. And he said, you're going to drink this. And he said, if you have taken my money, you're going to die. And if you don't die, then I know you're a witch. So I was, I was either a witch or a thief. Either way, I was dead. So I took the cup and I began to drink. And I started getting dizzy and dizzy. So in the end, I put it down and just fell down on my knees hoping to die. And he looked at me and he walked off into the house. On his way into the house, he looked behind. He said, and you're not sleeping in my house today. You're sleeping with the chickens. So I left, slept in the chicken house that night. Up to today, word no lie, I'm afraid of chickens. Not the KFC type. The walking type. In Uganda, you're there, you're preaching, and somebody goes, oh, I want to bless you, here's a chicken. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm scared of chickens. In the morning, we woke, I woke, the family woke up and I had to get them ready. A neighbor came to see to all my bruises and help me to clean up. And the children came and they helped me to do the chores on a Saturday and they said to me, oh, you know, daddy found his money. 
Where was it? Oh, it was in his jacket. It's like, okay. I knew I hadn't taken the money. So my life with my uncle got from there, from worse to worse. And then I began to cook for his friends. He got two friends that used to come to his house and uh, play cards and eat muchomo. Muchomo is dry meat when, when it's just, um, you call it barbecue. So at the age of nine, I had to learn how to cook that for them. And they would come and I would set out everything, cook everything for them. And they will play cards and they will get drunk and then they will leave. Except one day after they got drunk, one of his mates turned around to him and said, the cards is a bit boring, we want something else to do. And he said, what do you want to do? And they turned around and said, give us your daughter. My uncle said, don't you dare touch my children. And he turned around and said, no, we don't mean those ones. We mean that one that you didn't give birth to. My uncle turns around and said, oh, hi, yeah, go ahead. For the next six months, one year, I can't honestly tell you how long it took. That evening was the worst evening of my life because they would come, eat their food, get drunk, and I was dessert for two of them. One day I said I was going to run away. And I did, except I got to the bridge and I could see my uncle's house was far from me and I could see Kampala ahead of me and I said, I'm going to go to Kampala. And the voice came right there and said, don't go, go back. I said, why? Why have I got to go back to? And the voice said, go back. It was so clear. The voice said, if you go, you will become what they have done to you. I didn't understand it at, the, at the, that point, to be honest. I was only eight years old. But God was awesome that after some months, a lady came for me and she said, my mom had sent for me to leave Uganda and come to the UK. So I came to the UK when I was nine years old, bitter, angry at everybody. I came and all I did was rave. I raved, I raved. I didn't want to know Jesus. I didn't want to know anything. All I did was rave. And that's how I took out my frustration. I got pregnant when I was 15 years old. And when, after getting pregnant, I was saying to my best friend, would you look after my daughter? We're gonna go, I'm going to go to a rave. And my, daughter, my best friend said, okay, I'll look after her if you come to church on Sunday and collect her. I was like, church? I said, okay. I said to myself, what I'm going to do, I'm going to rave. I'm going to wake up late, come in at six, wake up late, then go to church and pick up my daughter. Six o'clock, I was like this. I couldn't sleep. I walked in church, and I was looking for them. I couldn't find them, so I sat at the back of church like this. And as I was sitting at the back of church, this pastor came out. They were doing the offering. I'm like, okay, just hurry up. I need to just get my daughter. Thank you very much. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the offering, she says, stop. The Lord has told me somebody needs to give their life to Christ. And I'm like, well, whoever it is, they better hurry up because I need to go. Ten minutes, nobody's coming forward. I know you're there. You need to give your life to Christ. Yes, please hurry up. I need to go. 
15 minutes, nothing. And all of a sudden, tears start falling down my face. And I'm crying. And the voice said, it's you that needs to go up. I looked behind me. I was like, huh? Me. By the grace of God, I took those steps. And I went. And I went to the front. And the lady said to me, what do you want? And I looked at her and I went, uh, Jesus? Yeah, I want Jesus to come into my life. And it was the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me. Because after that, yeah, it was awesome. I remember directly saying to Jesus that if you're not going to use me, then don't save me. And I sat there. And I felt the Lord just really start to address all those things I've been through. We continued the journey with Jesus. And then he reminded me. I did my degree, went back to college, finished my degree. And the Lord said, you'll never use that degree. So I was like, thanks, three years. Lovely. So I said, okay. So I got a job somewhere in the immigration's office because I did law and immigration. And he said... You're going back to Africa. Huh? To do what? You're going back to faith to forgive your uncle. I said, I can't. I can't do it. So we prayed and I prayed and we went through healing times, me and the Holy Spirit. It was this lot of crying and sobbing, not the English kind of crying, the African kind of crying. It's not everything. Oh. And the Lord said, now go back. And I went back, and I remember meeting my uncle. He came to embrace me, and I put my hand out, and I said, how are you doing? And the Holy Spirit was like, I cannot use you. You have not forgiven. And I made an excuse. I've got a next meeting to go to, so he left. That evening, I spent the whole night in prayer, asking God to help me to forgive somebody who has not asked for my forgiveness. But I loved him so. I loved Jesus too much. So the next, um, after, after two weeks, the Lord said to me, you're going back soon. Just call him and ask him to come back. This time, give him a present from your bag. Giving a present wasn't a problem. But in my culture, when you give something to an adult, you have to kneel. So when he came back, he sat in the sitting room and the door to the bedroom was on the opposite. And as soon as I got out the door, something pushed me on the floor. And I had to walk on my knees all the way to him and I gave him this shirt. Nobody said anything. Oh, you done this to me. Oh, this happened. But he began to cry and cry. I didn't know then that he was still drinking. Two weeks later, he gave his life to Christ. At the end of the year, he passed away. I began to work for Waltham Forest Youth for Christ. And it was during Waltham Forest Youth for Christ, the Lord began to really speak to me saying, I'm calling you back to Uganda. I'm calling you back to go back and serve me. I did not want to go. I did not like the country or the people. Hi, people. I didn't, but I had to go through healing. But all I knew is that I wanted to serve God. That's all I knew. I wanted to serve him. 
So the Lord set me up. He set me up good. And he said, go and do some mission work. So I went back and forth doing missions, and that was fine. Until one day I'm in the mission field, and I have an encounter with God. Um, lights come out, and I'm hearing the audible sound of God. God speaks to me audibly, and the voice goes through me, and I'm scared. And the Lord says, will you serve me here for the rest of your life? And I said, no. <laughs> Guys, it's not a good thing to say when God really, no. I had grace. I said, no, because I thought of my children. I thought, I've got everything. I've got a car. I've got a job. I've got a house. I've, I've got everything. I'm even serving you in the UK. And he said, will you serve me here for the rest of your life? And then I remembered all the time I used to say, Lord, use me. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything for you. All that come back to me. Then I realized I had to. And I said, Lord, I will. And that was 2010. 2012, I moved to Uganda completely. Having just a little 12-inch TV. <laughs> Couldn't speak the language. Didn't know no one, and I didn't have family because all my family had died of HIV. And we started the faith work with God. I looked at Jeremiah 1.5, and the first thing when God called Jeremiah, what did Jeremiah say? I'm a youth. Then he said, I can't speak. Isn't it funny that when the God calls you to do anything, the first thing you think of is what you think you can't do? Isn't it? But I can't do this. And what's worse of all is the things that God has blessed us with is the things we use against him. You bless me with children, but I've got children. Like he doesn't know. But my husband, yes, I know you prayed for him. I gave you to I gave you a husband. I know you've got one. But what about my job? Yes, I'm the one that gave you the job. And yesterday when I was praying and I was thinking about this service and I just sensed the Lord was saying, if the Lord be God, then tell them to serve him. If the Lord be their God, then tell them to serve him. Serving God is not easy. We don't want to do it and serving God is not for the full-time paid people. Amen? Amen? Pretend I'm in Africa. Amen? Amen? Thank you. I said to God, you're calling me to Africa. What am I going to eat? What job am I going to do? And I was speaking to my mentor and I said to him, how am I going to survive? I don't have a salary. And the person goes, well, you're going to have to rely on God. Yes, is it for you to say you're in London? I'm in Africa and you're telling me to rely on God. And the Lord said, I'm going to provide people to support you. And people, wonderful friends, came alongside me. And they were literally up to now supporting me. Because tell me, I've tried to do every business. He won't let me. He won't let me do business. I've tried. It's not fair, but I've tried. <laughs> Serving God is sacrificial. 
Why is it sacrificial? Because he sacrificed himself. Why do we expect to serve God in our comfort zone? You know, somebody said, I'll do that, but I can't do that. Amen? Do you remember that Jesus stood on that cross naked? Yes? I know we cover him, cover him up with a little something, something. But he was naked. He bared the shame for you. So you don't have to be ashamed. But he sacrificed. He said, everything I went through, we have to go through. And he's calling us church as in a time that we're in. The nation of the United Kingdom needs us to get up. Needs us to get up. Now, I'm probably going to be in trouble, but I promise you, I, you know, I'll come back next year. You would have forgotten this. I was telling Jackie, I was walking. I went to Trafalgar Square the other day, and I had to, uh, a meeting, and I saw the traffic light. And in Trafalgar Square, I was standing there. The traffic were red, so I was like, okay. When they went green, it was the LBHTGQ sign. I stood there, I was like, huh? I was, people were coming to rush by. I, I was standing there for about 10 minutes. I had to take a picture of it. The nation needs us. Bishop Stolford needs us. We can no longer have the Christ that is private. We can't have that, you know, cupboard closet Jesus where we serve him on a Sunday and Monday to Saturday we're about our own business. We can't do that anymore. Because we're going to be accountable. Everywhere God places us, it means we have something to do there and we're accountable for it. Serving God is a response of love. Amen? Amen. When you cook for your husband or your wife and you're shattered, but you still cook for them. Not because KFC is not available. But just doing that bit extra, you want to show them how much you love them. Isn't it? I serve God because I gave my life, my breath, my everything to him. And God is pulling us out. This is our time as a church. This is our time to step out and speak for him. Serving God brings intimacy. I have been without food. During COVID, we, um, people gave money and um, the Lord asked me to go out and feed people. And I said to the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, haven't you heard? The president said there's a lockdown. We're not allowed to move. Why are you asking me to go? The Lord said, people are starving. Go and give them, money. Go and give them food. So I asked people, they sent money, we bought this food, and I said to people, right, I'm going to have to come, but it's kind of going to be like ducking and diving. I'm going to come, drop the food there, and run. And they were like, okay. On my way back, I'm walking, and I see police. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you sent me, your problem. And but it, we walked through it. Didn't get asked a question. 
Amen? But we had to go. But one of the biggest things I remember that day is I had went out, given flour, sugar, all sorts of things to families. And I went home and I didn't have any food. And I stood there as I made my cup of tea and drank. I was laughing. I was laughing because I kept saying, only you can do this to me. I've given everybody food and I don't have any. Only you can do this. Am I talking to somebody? Yes. But the intimacy, church, let me tell you something. Nobody come to me, please, after the service and say, oh, I'm really sorry for what you went through. Don't do that. Because the God that I know now, I wouldn't have known before. The intimacy I have with God, I wouldn't have known before. Are you hearing me? I have gained something. I have seen a different side of God that I would not have said, have, have seen had I stayed in my comfortable house in Leytonstone. I would have seen a different side, but not the side I'm seeing now. Are you with me? So I'm in Uganda ministering and everybody's against me because I'm, I'm single, I'm divorced, and all the pastors are gunning for me. And I was like, oh, thanks. Could have taken me to America where nobody cares. You brought me here, they're going to... Ha- and everybody's like, oh, she's, she's single, she's divorced. The women pastors don't want nothing to do with you in case you take their husbands. Their men don't want nothing to do with you because, well, you should have a man standing behind you or beside you. And in the midst of all that, guess what God says? I want you to do a women's conference. Huh? I want you to do a women's conference. And I said, Lord, um, nobody likes me. And he said, just do it. I put out a women's conference. And I was so broken. Let me tell you, church, God will not use you just because God is not going to wait for you to be mended. In your brokenness, he will use you. We want to be fixed up, done all together nicely. But it's in your brokenness that he actually will use you. I was broken. And I said to the Lord, how am I going to minister to women? And he said to me, just put on the conference. And let me tell you something. I put on this conference by faith. But the room was so packed of women that they had to come and sit on the stage. They were sitting in the aisles. We couldn't even pray for them because they would just fall over each other. So I had speakers, and, and in, the, in the afternoon, the Lord said, you're the last speaker. I said, fantastic. Last speaker. I'm getting ready. I get on the pulpit. I start preaching. Render your hearts and not your garments. And the Lord said, that's right. Take your garments off. Hey. What? The Lord said, I tell them I want their hearts, not their garments. I told them, God wants your heart, not your garments. So the Lord says, now you take your garments off. I was like, I'm finished. This is potentially going to be my first and last conference. And then I'll get arrested. The Holy Spirit said, do it. I'm standing there, and this is no lie, guys. I'm standing there, and I see a white shadow. 
a shadow, just white next to me. And I felt an arm go over me like this. I was like, okay. The pulpit is in front of me. And I said, and just that day, I happened to be wearing a dress like this. If it was a skirt, it would have been easier. A dress. And I pull up the dress over my head. And everybody passes out. I pass out. I'm on the pulpit like this. I've got to get up after about five minutes. I've got somebody's tied uh, a lace suit or something around my around me. I go to look at the women. The women are not there. They're all on the floor. They're all shouting. They're all crying. Heal me, Lord. And honestly, you could just see the Lord just going and touching women like this. Like that. Now, the God you serve is easy, but the one I serve is not easy. It's not easy. Something broke in that church that was not seen before. And then I found out later that when the women screamed, the pastors, the men pastors came rushing and they were outside. And they tried to open the door and they thought it was locked. But we didn't lock it. After trying to push the door, pull the door a few times, they realized it wasn't, something was happening, and they just began to intercede. Just began to intercede. Obedience is better than, is better than sacrifice. We need to obey God in the little things. We need to obey them in the little thing. Pray for that person. Don't offer them an aspirin. Pray for them. Before you give them the paracetamol, pray for them first. Serving God means walking by faith and not knowledge. A lot of us have read the Bible so many times we can recite it from Genesis to Revolution, revelations. But have we done the faith walk with him? I just feel the Lord is really telling us to go a step further. Let me end with this. Revelations 12, 12. If you can open your Bibles to it. Revelations chapter 12, verse 12. And I'm going to ask the young man with the King James to read it for us. Have you got it, sir? Can you stand up and read it, sir? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Amen. What does it say? Rejoice. Who? Heaven. And everyone in the heavens, rejoice. But war to the earth. Because the enemy has come down. And he has great fury, wrath. Why? 
because he knows his time is short. I'm going to write a new version. The children of God have fury and anger and wrath against the enemy because they know time is short. The children of God are serving passionately, willingly, sacrificially because they know the time is short. Thank you for coming to church. But what's going to speak to, for you is not how many times you came to church. But what you did with the Christ that you know. That's what's going to speak for us. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. I think it's absolutely amazing that Jesus, in all that he did through, he ends everything by saying, go ye into the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them. Amen? It would have been horrible if he'd done everything and said, now you've got me, guys, sit down and enjoy. But he doesn't. He says, now you have me. Now you know me. Now you love me. Go. Go. Tell somebody about me. Speak about me. Bring somebody to me. Go. It's not easy when so many things are pulling us down. So I'm just going to ask that if you feel that You want to get up and go, whatever that means for you. You want to speak out and you've been so silent about him. You want to serve him in the way, in a different way that you have been doing. If that is you, then I just want you to come forward. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. This is...